You're listening to a sermon in our series, Fully Alive, as we go through the book of Colossians. Visit LinworthRoadChurch.com for more. There is something that you do 16,000 times a day that God wants to redeem. You might take a guess at what that is. And if you would guess that you speak around, on an average, men and women alike, around 16,000 words a day. You would be right. Now, it has often been said that women speak about 10,000 words a day more than men. But this study debunks that notion. Some of you guys may want to offer personal evidence to the contrary. But I would say in my world that I know some pretty quiet women and uh, some pretty wordy guys. Nelson Mandela said this about the power of words. It is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison has done anything to us, it was to use the silence and solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and the way they die. On his blog called The Life-Giving Tongue, Mike Mitchell cites another author, Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. And he is the author of a book called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. He's lectured all across the country on the sometimes negative impact of words. He often asks his audience if they can go 24 hours without saying any unkind word about or to another person. Invariably, a small number of listeners raise their hands signifying yes. Others laugh. And quite a few call out, no. Telushkin responds, Those who answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. So if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control of your tongue. Words matter, right? Words matter. What a personal challenge this is for all of us. Our series in the book of Colossians is called Fully Alive. And we are trying to answer the question, how do we in a real experience develop a full heart and a free heart in Christ? How does Christ make us fully alive? Now, undoubtedly, given the amount of words that we use, given the power of words, given their impact on those closest to us, words are a big piece of the puzzle. So our outline today is simple. It is words that mend, or I'm sorry, words that break, words that mend, and the word that crosses divides. Will you stand? I'm going to read our section for today. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 984. I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 3 and uh, conclude at verse 17. This This is the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. This is, this is God's word. Pray with me. Father, as we stand before you and as we hear your words, let them ring deeply in our hearts and make our hearts attuned and ready to hear your voice this morning. If anything, Lord, would distract us or hinder us, pray that we would do what we're able to to uh, silence our hearts and quiet our hearts so that we can only hear your voice. We need your grace this morning, Father, in just immeasurable ways. So we ask you to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, as you might have figured out, words play a part of the role here in these 17 verses, but not all of it. And these 17 verses really give us a template for how Christians change. And they're beautiful. They're breathtaking. They're so incredibly compelling, so incredibly relevant. But we're not going to cover all of them. I do I encourage you to, to reread those verses. I want to focus on verses 8 through 11. And as I said, I want to talk about words. Again, words that break, words that mend, and the word that crosses, divides. So let's begin at verse 8. And I want to outline first the problem, which is what Paul does here. He diagnoses the problem before giving some solutions. But the solutions, I think, will surprise you. So in verse 8, he says, You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, most scholars believe that last phrase, obscene talk, would be better uh, translated abusive language. It still means the same thing, but... The idea of abusive language is that it's hurtful. It damages other people. The first three, anger, wrath, malice, are all below the surface. They're attitudes. 
Above the surface, what actually comes out of our mouth in the form of words or whatever is the slander and the abusive language. Now, this list is in the context of relational harmony. Therefore, the purpose of this list is to show us the kinds of attitudes and feelings and words that inflict relational damage. Another version says it this way, but now you must get rid of all these things, anger, passion, and hateful feelings. No insults or obscene talk must ever come from your lips. And so this list is in direct or even uh, directly opposite to what Paul says should sort of fill our mouths in verse 17, which would be gratitude to God, which is worship. This list is the exact opposite of that. And so these words reveal a life not surrendered to God, a life that is not in uh, submission to the Lord Jesus. James, a different book in the New Testament, conveys it this way. He wrote, But no one has ever been able to tame the tongue. It is evil and uncontrollable. It doesn't mince words, James. It is full of deadly poison. We use it to give thanks to the Lord, our Father, and also to curse other people who are created in the likeness of God. Words of thanksgiving and cursing pour out from the same mouth. My friends, this should not happen. So, like a thermometer reveals the temperature of the body, so our words reveal what's in our hearts. You know, a physical heart attack can actually be a little tricky to detect problems with your heart. But, but spiritual problems of the heart will always manifest themselves inevitably in our words. In a book that some of you English and grammar people will love, a book called The Secret Life of Pronouns. <laughs> love that title. Social psychologist James Pennebaker has spent years researching the significance of our words. With a team of grad students, he developed a sophisticated computer program that analyzes what our words say about us. Based on his research, Pennebaker claims that the words we generate over a lifetime are like fingerprints. Even small words are what he calls stealth words like pronouns or prepositions broadcast the kind of people that we are. Pennebreaker concludes by saying, words are powerful tools to excavate people's thoughts, feelings, motivations, and connection with others. In the late 90s, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, he's a, a, wrote, he wrote for the Washington Post, David Moranis wrote a book Here's the title, kind of a long title. The Clinton Enigma, a four and a half minute speech reveals this president's entire life. It's actually a very brief book, a small book. But Moranis was in the television studio on that day when then President Bill Clinton gave his apology to how he misled the nation in his relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Moranis was listening to this speech there in the television studio, and he was struck that he had heard all this before, though never in one speech. This speech, he asserted, revealed Clinton's entire character. 
as the book description reads, he was alternately cautious and reckless, righteous and repentant, evasive and forgetful. Clinton tried to redeem himself that night, but only sank a little deeper in our understanding of his self-contradictory nature. Now let's talk, if we could, Gail, let's go back to that verse. Thanks. Let's talk for a moment about each of these words. First in our list here is anger and wrath or uh, anger and rage. Now it's interesting. Um, Anger, of course, is a good emotion and anger often is an appropriate emotion against injustice or what's wrong. But here, obviously, the context is anger that damages relationships and the words that accompany that attitude. But Paul uses from the Greek Septuagint, which is the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, he uses the same words here for anger and wrath. They often go together. The same words that describe God's judgment on people. So Paul may be hinting at this is the kind of anger that we feel when we assume the position of judge. The anger that we feel when we assume the position of God which is, you know, not for us to do. Moving on to the next word is malice. What does malice mean? Malice involves a deliberate intention to harm. Malice means hateful feelings. Without the power of new creation, these are precisely the kinds of feelings that we are enslaved to. You know, It's true that human beings can do a lot of amazing things on their own, can't they? It is amazing what self-disciplined individuals can perform seemingly like otherworldly feats. But in my three, almost three decades of trying to help people, I've never met someone who's been able to suppress or do away with feelings of malice, of hateful feelings, of unable to forgive without the power of Christ. Here's one example. You might know this name, Mike Love. Know that name, Mike Love? Yeah, all right, Mike Love, one of the original members of the Beach Boys. And uh, Mike Love was involved in some of their biggest early hits. And if you're like under 30, just go listen to these sometime. He contributed to such hits as as California Girls, which I sang to my wife on many occasions. She's from California. Or Help Me Rhonda. Or I Get Around. Remember those songs? Some of you? But Mike Love poured his heart out in an article to the Rolling Stone, a recent article. And he says that in the article, he said he meditates twice a day without fail and has done so for 49 years. It helps you deal with whatever you're dealing with, said Love. I meditate in order to cope with things. And over the years, he certainly has had a lot to deal with. For example, a former wife had an affair with his cousin, Dennis Wilson, also a band member. Love's name didn't make it onto the publishing credits for many of the Beach Boys' early songs, which he filed a lawsuit over, as well as the strained relationship with Brian Wilson considered to be the genius behind the Beach Boys. So has 49 years of twice-daily meditation helped love? When asked what he would say to his cousin and former bandmate 
Brian Wilson, if he were standing before him, love responded, I'd probably say, I love you. Moisture gathering in the corner of his eyes. And I love what we did together, and let's do it again. But then he gives his head a shake. He narrows his eyes, and the wetness that was there dries up. He frowns and once again gives voice to what no amount of meditation can smooth over. I've been ostracized, he says quietly, vilified. Hmm. Mike Love poses a great relevant question, doesn't he? How do we find our way forward when we have endured hurts and hurtful words? Or maybe we're having trouble forgiving ourselves for the words that we've used to inflict damage to others. The point of this story is that meditation or trying to suppress it is not enough. And anger works inside of us like a poison. There must be a better answer. And I want to get to that in just a moment when we talk about words that mend. But let me just go back to this list if we could. We just got to finish these last two words We were on that word malice. That's what we used that story to illustrate was malice. Now, slander. Slander are the words that we use when we gossip to damage another person's reputation. You know, in our culture, you will go to jail if you hurt someone physically. It's called assault and battery or something worse. But you can slander people without the same consequences, at least physical consequences. Slander is often a much easier option when we Feel those feelings. And then finally, just a moment to comment on obscene talk. I mean, come on, Chris, really? Come on. Is obscene talk really that bad? Is foul language really that bad? I mean, no one's really hurt, right? Hmm. I don't think I have to prove to you that foul language and obscene language is never innocent. First, it degrades the speaker of it without even them being conscious of it. Secondly, it degrades the audience and puts the audience under notice that there's a kind of a law that's at work here that if you transgress, um, you better watch out. And then thirdly, it degrades those who are characterized in inhuman ways through it. My goodness, we witnessed this in our past election. Obscene words of then-candidate Trump worked their way into the race itself. When we see and speak of human beings made in the image of God as something less than human, as objects existing merely for our pleasure, then we deeply offend the God who created them. We deeply offend the God who created them. These are words that hurt this list. These are the feelings and the attitudes that separate us. Families, marriages, friendships, neighbors, relationships ripped apart are simply grown cold. Sometimes people to stay together, oftentimes people stay together, but the relationship has lost its fire. It's grown cold over time. Proverbs 12, 18, the writer said, the the words of the reckless are like swords. But We should look at the other side of that verse. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So, 
All in all, Paul says, this was part of your former life. This was the way you used to be. This is the way you used to walk. You don't have to live this way anymore. There are words that are redeemed. There are attitudes and feelings that can be redeemed and made new. Look at the next verse, verse 9. So interesting, the first thing Paul says, it surprises us. We might expect Paul, to, you know, we might expect him to say, hey, go take an anger management class. That's what we might expect him to say. But look at what he says first. He says, do not lie to one another. The first thing in changing is to become truth tellers and to be in a community of truth tellers. Paul is saying here more than just like stop lying. Paul considers lying to be denying as well the truth of God. Paul is saying, do not deny the truth of God in your Christian community. Speak the truth to one another about who you are and what the gospel accomplishes in your life. The gospel is something we experience more deeply in community. Christian community helps us become assured of God's love. In this context, Paul is saying this. This very open truth-telling will do far more for you than what the false teachers are peddling. The false teachers were promoting these private, ecstatic experiences whereby the receiver of the vision gains a spiritual leg up on everybody else. And while the special experiences of the false teachers were mystical and private and reserved only for a few, the truth of the gospel is open for all, accessible to everyone, bringing people together in community. Paul is saying here the way that relationships begin to mend and heal starts with a community that reminds one another of who they are in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. Now, continuing in verse 9, it's so interesting. He says, take off the old self. Take off the old self. And the analogy here that Paul is using is like clothing, like an old, worn-out garment. Take it off. That garment was a part of what your identity, as far as it defines your identity. Take that off. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And what Paul is saying is that this has already taken place. God has already done this. Spiritually, positionally, in your standing before God, He has already done this. Now, what, what do we mean? Again, let's let the book interpret itself. Go back to chapter 2, verse 11. We discussed this a few weeks ago. Now, this is going to be awfully wordy, but I'll try to simplify it. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him, Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ has circumcised you. How? By being buried with him in baptism. In other words, you died with Christ in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raises 
him from the dead. Now, here's the reality. Jesus, Paul here, likens the day of our salvation to the act of circumcision. Ouch. We can all say, let's just all say ouch together. Okay? Just like there's a tearing off of the flesh in circumcision in the same way the day that you came to know Jesus Christ, he ripped off your old person, this old nature, the way that you used to operate and think and find motivation. Nothing like a vivid picture to drive a point home, right? You see, in a foundational way, in a foundational way, this was a one-time event that took place at your salvation. And though we cannot yet see who we truly are, we have been raised with Christ. These Christ-centered lenses are how Paul views the Colossians. And he urges them to view one another in the same way. It is the way that Christ viewed them. It is the way that Jesus Christ views you. Through these lenses. Let me go on. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Verse 10. In verse 10, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We take off the old self, that old nature that died with Christ, and we put on like a new garment, like new set of clothes that redefine our identity. We put on Jesus Christ. He now is a source and motivation of our lives. This new self does include you. He is remaking you according to his image. He's using Christ in you, but he's remaking you. You are becoming a new person. Now, on top of that, the new man points to more. It points to more than the individual self. This new man that Paul uses points to a whole new order of existence including being part of a new humanity. It has a corporate sense as well, and we learn this from verse 11. You are part of a new creation as a new man. You're part of a new creation, a multi-ethnic community that has the risen Jesus at its center. And God is molding this community today around the world for His purposes. So if God did all of this, if he's done it, then what part do I play in this? Am I merely a passive actor on a stage? No. Look at what the scripture says. It says, it is being constantly renewed day by day. Day by day. There is this future picture of glory where we will land someday... This is how God defines our standing and position before him. And we are, God is seeking to every day renew us, to bring new life, to move us towards that purpose and towards that end. Look at this other verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, where Paul uses this word, same word, renew. Very interesting word. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Day by day. Our capacity to understand 
who we are in Christ and be renewed by Him is a day-by-day effort. It's a daily effort. Now, this word renewal, it also brings in another member. It, it, it speaks of another member of the Trinity. From Titus 3.5, we learn that is the Holy Spirit who does this work of regeneration. And it's really fascinating. We learn a little bit about this word from our own bodies. Right? Parts of our bodies can regenerate. Did you know that? Remember that from biology class? I mean, you can't regenerate a, a limb. That would be great. But there are parts of your body that regenerate. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Some cells in our body are constantly dividing, regenerating, and dying. Red blood cells, for example, live for approximately four months. They're very hardworking. They take a lot of punishment. But they are easily manufactured and easily replaced. In the same way, without Christ, we are spiritually dead. But the Holy Spirit has made us spiritually alive through Christ. There is now spiritual feeling in us, whereas before there was only numbness. There is now spiritual sensitivity in us, where before there was only a dullness and insensitivity. This is not like you woke up someday and did this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It is as if we were dead and he brought us to life, but we're still in rehab. Okay? We're still learning how to walk and to run. And in this sense, we must cooperate with him. How? By daily, daily centering our lives and setting on Jesus and setting our mind on things above. Verse 1. By freely submitting to him, by obeying him from love. Verse 17, by giving thanks for everything. Again, like I said, these verses are a template for how change takes place in our lives. They're a beautiful template. And guess what? As we focus on Christ and focus on who we are, our hearts begin to change. And as your hearts begin to change, guess what else is going to change? Your words. Your words are going to change from hate speech to love speech. Why? Because there's a transformation going on underneath you, underneath at your heart level. Rather than being inward focused, you will become more outward focused. And your words will begin to be framed around what others need, not what you want from the relationship, what, not what you think you need from the relationship. But your words will be framed. You'll see differently. You'll begin to love. You'll begin to think about others' needs and frame your words around meeting those needs rather than meeting your own needs. Let's go to that last point. Words that break, words that heal. And finally, the word who is Jesus, that crosses divides. Christ in you is reworking, of course, not just your words, right? But your underlying motivations and your underlying attitudes. We've been saying that the whole time here. Because of that, all Colossians, and for us, all previous social barriers, cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, Barriers that divided you from others, people not like you, all those have now been eradicated. How? Because you have a new identity firmly 
rooted in Jesus. Your old identity, the old clothing, the way that you saw yourself, what you took pride in was based on wealth, our sexual exploits, our physical beauty, our strength, our education, our social class, our other ways to distinguish yourself from others. Now through Jesus we discover the common bond that unites us all, that wrecks all superiority and devastates all self-righteousness. And that is that we are all sinners in the need of redemption, the need of grace. Amen. Amen. The world, this is so relevant to today. This is so relevant. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention this. The world is striving for this multi-ethnic ideal, but finds it impossible to attain. Why? Because without Christ... People keep placing their identities in these same external factors. It's a problem of the heart. And it can't be educated out of people. Even the best people in the world inevitably seek to justify themselves. Seek to distinguish themselves from others through their accomplishments, through their deeds, and even good moral causes. In our pride, these external factors become a point of superiority and self-righteousness in relation to others. Thus, prejudice is born even when done in the name of tolerance. Prejudice simply refuses to die. Only the peace of Christ brings the kind of settled peace to the heart, to the human heart that will end our constant striving to justify ourselves. And it will set up a world where the multi-ethnic ideal can become a living, functioning reality. And by the way, because Jesus prayed, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we long for and hope for the church of Jesus Christ as an expression of the kingdom of God in this day and age to express that multi-ethnic ideal that we are united by Christ. So in the end, I think we can really safely conclude words matter, right? Words and what what lies underneath them matters. You might have a lot of Bible knowledge. (laughs) You might have a lot of church experience. But Bible knowledge alone, church experience alone, if you do not encounter Jesus, if you do not encounter His Word, it won't change you. It won't change your words. Bible knowledge and coming to church does not have the power to uproot the anger that is fizzling underneath the surface. You know, I had to learn this Years ago, I had to face the problems that I had, sometimes still have, with anger. All of my Bible knowledge, all of my years of going to church, which is good, by the way. I'm not saying it's bad. But there were parts of Jesus' word, of God's word, that I was not allowing to address some of the deeper recesses in my heart where anger lived and breathed like a little um, 
like a little uh, bacteria inside of my soul. I needed to encounter more of Jesus and not only read his word, but believe his word and let that word seep into those deeper recesses. It meant telling the truth about past hurts and forgiving others. And then in the present, it meant abandoning the law that I was placing on others. And it meant learning to know how to, in the language of redemption in verses 12 through 14, that's the language, by the way. That's the new heart, the new language of redemption. It meant learning to bear up with the weaknesses of others. Not judging them, not placing a law on them, but bearing up and absorbing the weaknesses of others and sometimes absorbing the weaknesses of others without giving any advice, without trying to correct, without trying to fix, without trying to change, but simply absorbing their weaknesses and paying the price for that. That, by the way, is exactly what Jesus did. This is the language. These are the words of redemption. This is, these are the words that mend and heal. I wonder if some of you this morning are in the same places I've been and sometimes still am. You know, if you have children, secondhand stress is a big problem for kids. When a thousand kids were asked if they could have one wish to change their parents, they rarely wish for more time, as we might expect. Instead, they wish their parents would be less stressed out and tired. In this survey, kids gave their parents grades, and overall the grades were pretty good. But anger management was the Achilles heel for most parents. More than 40% of kids gave their moms and dads a C, D, or F for controlling their temper when they did something that made them angry. And I lost my page. This, this happens, and they never tell you what to do about this. And you know, would you excuse me for a second? I think I left the page down here. Talk to your neighbors. Do something friendly. <laughs> you know, once in a while, if I'm ever tempted to think, man, I'm really in perfect rhythm here. I have really got them going. <laughs> God just sort of smiles and laughs and says, eh. I'm going to mess with you for a little bit. (laughs) All right, I was talking about grades and parents receiving tough grades from their kids on anger management. I'm not sure what I would have received on that test. Certain days, surely it would have been a failing grade, no doubt. You know, Jesus reminded us in Matthew that we're going to be held accountable every word we say. Man, that's discouraging. (laughs) At the end of our lives, we'll have a conversation about the words that we use because the words reveal our hearts. And when we can admit this, that we experience those things in verse 8, both the words themselves and the underlying attitudes, the malice, the hateful feelings, the hurtful anger, when we can acknowledge friends that from pastor on down, right? Moms and dads, friends, classmates, right? We can acknowledge that, hey, this is a problem. This is a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. 
when we admit this and then we just sort of stare at ourselves in the mirror and come face to face with who we are, what can we do? And if we say we're not going to rationalize, we're not going to justify, we're not going to make excuses, we're not going to blame shift, what are we left with then? Right? We're left with the words that we've chosen. What do we do in that moment? We look. Colossians 3.1. Set your heart on not just heaven, not just a hope for the future, but set your heart on a Jesus who is reigning and ruling now and seeking to have leadership in your life today. We look to Christ. We remember the words that Paul said that for us as believers, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? We remember that Jesus was perfect where we failed. He built up when we tore down. He protected when we gossiped. He was gentle when we were angry. He was tempered when we flew off the handle. Now, when he got angry, and he did get angry, it was righteous anger. And like good things were produced by that and needy people were defended by that. He married truth and grace perfectly. Every word had purpose. He was quiet and sensitive when pulling the deaf and mute man away from the crowd. He was gentle and calm and yet so full of truth-telling with the Samaritan woman by the well. When he interacted with that poor woman who had been bound up for 18 years, abused by the religious leaders, we can just see his tenderness towards her in his words. This is why Jesus is qualified. This is why the Son of God, the second Adam, is qualified to exchange his life for ours. When he died bearing our weaknesses on the cross, every angry word, every misguided word, every hateful feeling that you and I have had is absorbed in that death on the cross. That person you've been unable to forgive, that hateful feeling you've been wrestling with, those angry words that you've inflicted that have damaged a relationship, there they are on the Son of God. He is absorbing them, or He absorbed them once and for all. He absorbed them. He died for them. That's the punishment that you and me, that's the punishment we deserved. He did it for us so that we could be forgiven even for every angry word, even for every hateful feeling. This is the beginning of how we change and where we change. We remember there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we begin to live again. We need to hear his words over us today to receive him as the leader of our lives, to receive him as the forgiver, And to hear him say, to pronounce over you, my son or my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Every empty word, every meaningless word, every hateful word is forgiven. Your faith in me has saved you. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we come before you. And what can we do this morning but take a long, deep dive into the ocean of grace that is Jesus Christ? And Father, as we take that dive, will you transform our friendships? Will you transform our marriages? Will you transform our family relationships? Will you ignite in us communities and families where words that mend and words that heal become the commonplace way that we relate to each other? Father, thank you. Thank you for what Christ did for us. Thank you this morning we can start all over again. Daily renew us, Father. Daily let us experience the leading of the Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit. Thank you for the promise that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not carry out or gratify these desires of the sinful old nature. Thank you that on the day of our salvation, you ripped it off, that old nature. Now let us live in it. Let us believe that, live in that new person within this community. Thank you for the chance to pray, to sing, to rejoice, to remember who we are, and to celebrate our forgiveness through Christ, to celebrate our new life together. Let us give our offerings. Let us offer these songs and prayers. Lord, as a sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.